Golf's not just a game and it's not played on just grass. Lawn Solutions Australia is the home of Australia's best sports turf of varieties. For the world's best grasses like Tiff Tuff, Sir Grange, Primo and Trinity, contact Lawn Solutions Australia at lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. That's lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's ongoing quest to uncover the multitude of reasons people get hooked by and on this crazy game. My name's Rod Murray and today's episode is a real personal treat for me and I hope ultimately for you too. In the world of daily newspapers, there's an old saying about how headlines grab attention. Dog bites man will draw very few readers, the thinking goes, but man bites dog? Well, that'll make even the most cynical turn their head. It's the incongruity that grabs people, and I must admit there was a man-bites-dog element to my initial interest in Edwin Roald. Edwin is a golf course architect. That's dog-bites-man stuff. But Edwin is a golf course architect from Iceland. Now that is man-bites-dog material. Add in a fascinating website he developed called y18holes.com, and the movement he spearheaded in Iceland to sanction official tournaments of any number of holes above seven, and Edwin suddenly becomes a man you really want to talk to. Now, over the years, I've had lots of interesting conversations with Edwin about all sorts of facets of golf. In today's episode, we squeezed as much of that as we could into what turned out to be a lengthy conversation that could have been oh so much longer. My guess is that almost none of you listening right now will have heard of Edwin Roald before today. But my hope is that you make the effort to listen to his thoughts and that you, like me, become a fan of Edwin Roald. Well, we'll start, as we always do, Edwin, by first saying thank you for your time. It's quite the commitment to do the thing about golf, so we appreciate that. Well, thank Normal. you, thank you for, for having me on. Oh, Edwin, you're far too interesting a person for only me to know about, and I'm hoping that a wider audience will get to hear some of your thoughts on the game. Normally, I start this podcast with the title, and by asking the person what's the thing about golf. With you, I'm going to do it a bit differently. When we think about golf, most of us around the world, we think of the golf hotspots. We think of the UK, Scotland, America, perhaps Australia, Canada a bit. We don't think of Iceland, Edwin. Tell me about golf in Iceland. You've been a life, you've had a lifelong passion for golf, born and raised in Iceland. Tell me about golf there. Well, yes, um, I, I, I guess it, it probably is among the uh, the most active uh, golfing nations there are. Um, uh, in Iceland, we, I mean, the, the population is quite small. It's we are around three hundred fifty thousand, just just above that, maybe. And um, in a fairly large country, though, uh, if you if you look at the population, it's slightly larger than Ireland or, or and and England England itself, or if you, if, you know something for scale. Um, but we do have uh, more than sixty golf courses, uh, and they're basically distributed or scattered along the coast. I mean, almost every small town along the coast, every old fishing village will have a golf course. And I, you know, the more I've sort of uh, belonged in, you know, to the industry and the golf movement uh, in Iceland and beyond, I kind of sense that um, 
the uh, the popularity of golf owes to maybe I think three big factors. Really, it's number one. Okay, we like I said before, we we do live in a fairly large country, so we have space. There is land available. So let's say that if there was a group of enthusiasts in a town that wanted to get get golf started, they probably it wasn't far too it wasn't quite you know too difficult for them to get a piece of land somewhere from a farmer or somewhere you know to borrow to borrow a piece of land and the other thing is that uh we can play 7 days of the week after work you know a working person because of the daylight hours from you know from spring to autumn will have any day of the week to play so you can finish your work day whether it's 4 or 5 or 6 o'clock and then even have dinner and take the kids with you to go out and play uh, because of perhaps the availability of land, many of these courses are quite accessible. Uh, so that obviously that's a huge factor. Obviously, let's say you live in a big city, you're you're in the you're living in the fast lane. You you've got a high powered job or whatever, and then you, you you're not going to go out and play on a weekday. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably traffic. not a golf course accessible to you in an urban area yeah, like big yeah, cities. Yeah, it's it's also what? darkness and and the traffic and and things like that. So, and then. I mean, I guess thirdly, it's it's the climate. I mean, Iceland obviously sounds extremely cold, uh, but <laughs> it, it's it, it the temp you know the climate is quite mild. Uh, the winters are basically just just wet, uh, but they are dark actually. But but in, instead, conversely, we've got uh, like I said, these daylight hours in the summertime, and the climate is is like I said, it's mild, so that we don't really get these extremes in terms of high temperatures causing stress on the on the grass plant or or big volumes of rain per you know per time unit you know per hour or something so we don't really require these extensive drainage systems as well because you know let's say if there's a front coming and it's raining all day nobody's out there playing anyway so you know you the course will have all night to drain if you like so uh, it's that I think, and I think actually you, you, I think in Australia and New Zealand, you have us, you know, a certain, there is, there is an element of golf there where you've got, you know, like, like, well, I think, I think what they call in, in New Zealand, uh, country golf, for example, you, you've, you've got that more modest sort of approach to the game where it kind of delivers in, in greater accessibility, lower cost. And, and like I said, more time to play. So. Uh, and um, so I, I would I would even go as far as saying that golf is almost a national sport in Iceland. It's it's now in terms of registered players, it's almost it's just it's almost catching up to football. So it's becoming it's currently the second largest sport in terms of participation registered, and probably will be the largest in a, in a two, in two or three years. That's quite extraordinary. You've outlined beautifully there the reasons why golf might be popular, predominantly accessibility, as you say, and a few other issues, which I think we can all learn some lessons from. But what do we know of the start of golf in Iceland? And how is it that those of us in what we would consider the tradition golfing nations don't know this about Iceland? Ah, that's a good question. There's two questions there. There are probably two quite big ones. Yeah, yeah, two good ones, Yeah. Well, the start, I mean, uh, it, it was British influence, actually. Uh, I think the first written reference to uh, on, on golf in Iceland is from 1912, where an Englishman was seen, uh, he was out there fishing or angling in one of the rivers in the, in the north. And uh, he was seen hitting some strange, you know, strange balls with strange clubs and things like that along the grounds there, along the banks. Um, and it's then in 1934 when the first club is, is established, uh, Reykjavik Golf Club, and um, 
there were quite quite you know there were quite few actually in, to begin with. Um, I mean, still in 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 in, the, in World War Two, there there were only three clubs in the country. So it's about. Then I think uh, you know in the post-war years, as with as with so much so many other things, you know there was a uh, there was a surge. I think in 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 at least in the number of courses, uh, and then I think in two other spurts, it comes in the mid '80s, and then in 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 our just r- roughly at around 2095, 2000, there's another boom in at least in the number of courses, while the number of players has basically uh, multiplied since yeah since 2000 roughly. Okay. Fantastic. And why don't we know about Iceland? It's probably our own fault, I guess. Um, don't do anything to change. It would be my suggestion. You might you might be no, better off without uh, hordes of people coming there. But. No, 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 not not at all. Because not at all. Because I think uh, we would welcome, I think, uh, visitors from abroad to play because they would have a tendency to want to play at least uh, a lot of the time during the evenings and at midnight because that's a that's a very that that's a very sort of a memorable and interesting experience and we it's actually catching on here among the local population is you know going out at you know during summer sol- solstice and and going out and play midnight golf you know at least once a year and uh, so that's becoming a thing. Uh, so I mean, we would we should be able to distribute the play, you know, throughout you know around the clock a bit, and uh, so it shouldn't there shouldn't really be that much conflict. But uh, in terms of why why it's not that well known, I guess uh, you know, I guess I th- I think the majority of us just even still hasn't realized. I think the. Um, the unique nature of of uh, well, I guess they might realize the unique nature of golf in Iceland, but I, I don't think they realize the uh, the attraction in it, and uh, and uh, the the uh, the demand that we know that exists uh, for uh, pure, let's say, yeah, golf in its pure form with uh, with a, with the quirkiness like we have seen from courses, for example, in Scotland. So I, the one. One person, I sadly I forget who it was, uh, said once that uh, the Icelandic golf courses, especially the rural ones, were more Scottish than the Scottish courses. So, uh, so I, you know, I think I think we, uh, yeah, you know, what I'm what I'm getting at here is that it's that uh, it, it's that that element of the game where you're playing in nature, where you're playing holes that uh, are draped across interesting land and in, in maybe because of that there's you know there's the odd hole that uh, might look a bit strange or quirky but uh, would uh, would owe its charm to that you know so i mean i often think about north berwick in that respect you uh-huh. know, uh, yes the, the especially, especially the back nine i'm going to suggest anybody who hasn't done so yet pause this podcast, go and look at images of golf in Iceland. It's a staggering landscape, Edwin. Adventurous, thrilling-looking golf. Um, quite extraordinary, the images would suggest. Is that, is, that a common, is that common in Iceland, or are we seeing images of perhaps the more photogenic courses or those that are a little more unorthodox there? Well, I think that tendency is yeah for them to kind of find, find their way at the forefront of the, of mm-hmm. the, uh, the search engines, I guess, but... Uh, um, I think what what always fascinates me is the is the tremendous variety in landscapes that we we have in a, in, a, in a not in a bigger place than this. I mean, it also reminds me a lot. Well, having said that, I 
I've been to New Zealand, yes, the North Island, but I'm told that the South Island is is very, very similar to the Icelandic, Icelandic landscape. And I think for those, you know, listening uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, that probably it would be a nice, I think, a, a, a good comparison in terms of landscapes. That is, if 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 there were if there were that many golf courses sort of scattered along, you know, across the the landscape of the South Island in, in New Zealand. Yeah, indeed. So we're going to come back to the question that I normally start with, then, Edwin. The thing about golf. What's the thing about golf for you? Oh, I think that's changed. Uh, you know, in all this time, uh, I got into golf in the late eighties. Uh, for me, having worked in the industry for more than 20 years now, um, I've grown very attached to the, uh, to the idea of using golf uh, systematically or in a focused way uh, to bring about uh, various improvements to our communities and our environment. So I, I'm basically, I see golf as a tool to achieve that. And it can do this in, in, in so many ways, which I think many will find surprising. And so that's been my, uh, my passion for a number of years now, uh, after first having been introduced to the game through Severiano Ballesteros, who, you know, I, I, I was, I remember, I always remember watching him on TV when I was, a, when I was a kid. He was play, I think he was playing Dennis Dernian in the final in the match play. I would like to say Wentworth, but I, you know, it was in the match play environment. He was in a final. He was pulling out of his out of his hat all these shots around trees and things, and and sticking them close. And uh, and and the 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 reaction of the of the spectators and the, and the and the excitement you could feel it. And uh, th- that's what he did, I think, with many. You know, he he brought people into the game. And uh, so yeah, I, I um. It's thanks to him that uh, I've I've enjoyed the the privilege of of being able to work, uh, almost work and play at the same time, almost every day. Prior to seeing Sevi on TV, what was your connection with golf, if anybody? Did anybody in your family play? No, not none at all. And had you had any other exposure to golf outside of seeing it on television? Had you played with friends? No, or? No, no, no. It was no, no, no. It was my it was my my just it was my first introduction to the game, and I. And I just um, started speaking to my family about wanting to try it out, and uh, they were they were very willing to to accommodate that. And uh, at the time, which, you know, which is an interesting thing, is you know, it maybe shows you how golf has changed. Well, at least in this case, in our country, is that at this time in the late eighties, it was that uh, more sort of uh, elitist or or exclusive sport that you often find when. You know, during the first few decades of uh, of golf in any nation, I think, and uh, at the time you needed to have two two people in the club to second you as a as a new entrant and uh, and all that stuff. So, so it was a, a it was a very very different environment, a very very different. So it, it's basically in the nineties and around two thousand, it just the game transformed into what it is today. It became became a truly public sport, and uh, so I mean uh, that's. Obviously, for me having, and we, well, what's interesting as well, I think, is that uh, when before I got introduced to golf, I was always going to be an architect, a building architect. I was drawing, you know, I was as a child, I was drawing buildings and things. And and uh, after I got, you know, got into golf, I just thought, you know, of course, why don't I just combine these two? 
and uh, that's that's obviously quite i mean you know, quite blessed having you know that uh, that the development of the game has 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 gone along this direction where it's become such a an accessible widespread game uh it's much more fun to belong to something like that than well i think than than obviously essentially just building playgrounds for yeah we might come back to some of that and the, the, the yeah. differences and similarities between architecture of buildings and golf course. I want to come back to Seve. To watch Seve play golf remains to this day, even though he's no longer with us, an adventure. And golf in places like Scotland, North Berwick, and some of the ones you mentioned earlier, and some places in New Zealand, certainly here in Australia, is an adventurous pursuit. There's a word that comes up often in old writings about golf courses, about sporty. A golf course was sporty. It feels to me like some of the edges have been rubbed off that sort of golf at all levels. If we look to the professional game, there's a lot less. I mean, nobody will ever replace Seve, obviously. Phil Mickelson perhaps is somewhat of a, cor- a correlation, but the professional game feels like it has less adventure, less spirit, less adventurous in the, the, the venues they visit so often. Do you feel that? Uh, and what impact do you think that's had on golf those who are drawn to it, and its ability to achieve some of the things that we're going to talk about that you'd like to see, where golf can be a vehicle for something much bigger than just golf. Yeah, I think i i have the same I have the same feeling. Is that when we were when we're looking, you know, watching professional professional golf? Um, my understanding of it is that. It's essentially the 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 tours, the European tour, the the PGA tour, other tours. They're essentially owned by the players. I mean, directly or indirectly, you know, depends on your outlook on life, I guess. Um, and because they, it's their, they make a living playing golf. I mean, you know, they they would have a tendency to eliminate all the unpleasant uh, surprises out there. So they just they wanted what you see is what you get. That kind of thing. Um, so the, naturally, the, the golf courses will have a tendency to be more mainstream, uh, uh, not as rough around the edges as as, as you often find in in, you know, in public golf. Uh, so I think, therefore, and then the greens committees at your local club, they will obviously uh, be influenced uh, by what they see on TV. So it kind of has that ripple effect, doesn't it? Uh, it just it, it uh, kind of um, brings that sameness throughout. I mean, that's 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 I think I think what you were getting at. I think that's what's my my experience as well. So um, there is often a lengthy, often a tricky conversation um, in the club room to try and influence decisions made by the greens committees at, at existing courses and. Um, not always easy. Well, many of whom, Edwin, don't understand, will not have read, researched, or really know anything beyond their own prism and the way they view their own game. Any understanding of golf course architecture or its role in the game, and yet they will make decisions, big decisions, about golf courses and design features, things that they would never do in their own profession outside the club. Lawyers who would tell you you can't have someone who's not a lawyer represent you in court have no problem believing that there's no need for a golf course architect, that they know what's best for their course. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Uh, Very, very. And I think, well, my feeling is that um, obviously there's a 
emotions often run high in the club room you know you're you're dealing with people who who you know they you know they mean well they you know the intention is good the the passion is so great though that uh, and, and often uh, they don't have the uh, the luxury of having been involved in the game for decades even in a perhaps in a professional capacity where you're trained almost to to let's say almost to remove your emotions to to adopt a certain versatility in terms of styles to fit the the environment that you're working in and things like that because i think when you've when you've been maybe for a, a more limited time in the game or or, or attached to the game uh, there's a greater risk, I think, that you are influenced by what you what you last saw, for example, on TV. So the um, the tendency is often, I think, um, you know, it, it might sound harsh, but it's often like you know, the Greens committee maybe wants to do what you know the, the Greens chairman saw in his last golfing trip. You know, so uh, that's what they want to replicate out there. That's that's. Uh, you know, bit of an exaggerated scenario but that's often what but it feels like there's truth to it isn't there you, one of your architecture brethren mike clayton has said more than once and i'm pretty sure he said it publicly but he certainly said it to me nobody should be allowed to sit on a greens committee anywhere in the world if they haven't read the spirit of st andrews at least <laughs> to understand the point he's making there yes, does that make yeah. some sense to you yeah, 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 it, it does, and I and I often I've often thought about you know the the greens committee person's handbook. Uh-huh. You know, what would be in that? <laughs> well, we could we could put at least large excerpts of the spirit of Saint Andrews in there. <laughs> and I think you know, I think yes, there would need to be that uh, introduction to the um, to the you know to the philosophy and history of, of of golf course design philosophy. I think that's a very healthy read, and it's I think a very healthy read, you know, a healthy reread for uh, many of us as well to do that occasionally. Um, and then I think because the world is becoming so complicated, I think, and it's changing so fast, uh, there are now so many factors that we need to consider, you know, because obviously a golf course and golf, it's a land and resource demanding game. There's so many, um, factors that come into play now when you're planning a golf course, you know, whether it's a new course or, or changing it or, or, or developing an existing course for the future. Uh, and there are, there are even new disciplines being born every five years that uh, you didn't know, knew, you know, you never had, you know, imagined could exist. So it, it is becoming a very, very demanding job to, um, because it's our job basically to try and read into the crystal ball a bit and see, you know, what's the world going to look like here in, in 20 years? Because often, you know, influencing these golf courses, whether it's designing a new one and building it and then, you know, or, or, or completing a, a, a redesign, it takes many, many years. And the risk of your design being obsolete on opening day is, is quite, you know, is quite high. Quite a motivator, I would think, Edwin, that would keep you awake at night sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's, and I think, you know, it's, it is a very, very unique discipline. You know, it, in terms of the size of the of the sites that you're working with, the environmental impact, the impact on people's lives around you, the um, and obviously the time it takes to develop the thing. So um, it's, yeah. it's a huge undertaking. A golf course is to build a golf course. It's like an enormous art project. You can see these things from aeroplanes. Yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> it's quite staggering when you think about it, and quite if you were to think about it that way, it might be quite daunting. 
to consider it in that way, I would think. I want to take you back, Edwin. You mentioned that your thing about golf had changed over time. I want to ask you what was your thing about golf when you first started? You said you watched Seve and that appealed to you. You went to try the game and something about the game obviously appealed to you. What was that? And is it important for all of us to remember that, what first drew us to the game? Because that's what's going to draw the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, isn't it? If we lose the things that drew us to the game, we can lose the things that might draw the next generation to the game too. So what was it that drew you way back then? You ask a very good question, I think. it's. I'm not sure if I have... You know, you have to dig deep a little bit, you know, and try and wonder, you know, what it, what it really was that was so charming about it is that obviously when I came into it, I, that's during my, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 12 oh, years well, old. 12. Okay. Yeah. So, so sporty I mean, minded, athletic, you would have played other sports. Yes. No doubt, yes. Team yeah. sports it's performance so. driven into a, to a, yeah. to a degree. It's also, I think, the unique element of it being out there on your own. You've, it's the competition with yourself. Uh, and the course, obviously, and but more, I think, with, with within your within your own uh, mental sphere, basically, and um, um, and and yeah, so I think that's uh, it's it's tough to I think put your finger on exactly what it was, but uh, uh, it's all those elements, and obviously helped by the fact that I was able to go out there, and there was there was room on the golf course. I mean, that's I think. As a kid, I could go out and play the the main golf course. Um, today, I see kids, you know, perhaps yeah, willing to try it out. You know, they 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 see golf on TV and they 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 are drawn to it. But um, because of the um, uh, the traffic that now exists on the golf courses, especially in and around the city, uh, they are almost confined to. Playing in simulators or or on the driving range or 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 a or a or a fairly bad short course, and they rarely get to play the actual golf course. And I think that's where I obviously was able to get you know my you know to have my desires fulfilled to play the course. And um, I had, for example, I had seen my home course on TV. You know, there was a match play event that I saw, so I knew it a little bit, and so it was it was interesting as well to have to finally be out there on the course that I had seen on TV. And um, but I, I I often worry that um, the kids today they don't they don't get that same fulfillment, and they are which might cause them to leave the game or or hopefully pick it up later on, but. Uh, I now worry course, about. I'm, I might be taking this answer a bit sort of off road here, but uh, I, I worry that um, golf in the urban environment is being pushed out to the countryside that much. Not only in Iceland, but uh, across the world, obviously, and so that uh, the the young generation's ability to get introduced to golf is will be diminished. So, and uh, the impact that that will have, I don't know. I guess it's unknown, but. Um, uh, yeah, it worries me a bit. And you're absolutely right. It's certainly something we have here. We have people who campaign, in fact, to remove urban golf courses from the urban landscape, shift them away outside into the suburbs where there's more space and use the golf course space for something else instead. 
and they find a lot of people agreeable to that notion and golf is not doing enough quickly enough to defend its position, I don't think. And we're going to come to some of that in a moment. It strikes me while you're talking there, Edwin, accessibility is essentially what you're talking about there. And I think that's true probably in most Western countries where golf is played. We find that those who live in the rural areas outside the big cities have much more access to golf courses. And we tend to find our best players who end up on television tend to come from those areas, not from the suburbs of the big cities. The other thing that strikes me is, and we sometimes forget this, I think, when we're in the business, Edwin, Unlike other sports, golf is a business top to bottom. Most sports are a business at the professional level, but there are recreation elsewhere across the board. The agenda is different for those involved in administration, etc. Golf has a very large business top to bottom. We forget the word play. We play golf. That's the appeal. We play at golf. I'm as guilty of it as the next person. We sometimes take it too seriously, don't we? Golf. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a very good point you're making. Um, but yeah, I think that's, yeah, we, I think we have a tendency to forget about that. Uh, uh, you know, but having said that, I mean, it's also interesting to, you know, we just talked about new disciplines being born every five years. There's a new one. One of the new ones is called environmental, you know, psychology. And, um, it, it tries to quantify those experiences, right? Because, you know, uh, yeah, golf is a like we like we've talked about. It's a unique game in many ways, and and it's. I think I often kind of liken it to probably what hunting used to be for us back in the day when we were in the Stone Age, and we were, is that we you're you're out there, you're actually battling the elements, you're battling, you know, you're reading into the environment, you're reading into the elements, you're sent out there to actually get a result and come back with a result. So, you know, you're sent out there like you were, you know, from the cave, you went out, you have to get your prey and then you're judged on what you come back with. So it's like you, you have to you read into your, like read into the weather, read into the environment, make a decision, execute, and then there's a, there's a result and you you can't hide it when you come back in, you know, so you, <laughs> either you get your prey with you or, or, or you don't. And that's probably a human, a deeply human element and so I guess golf taps into that a little bit. And, and, and yes, there is the adventure element there. But I, I've become fascinated with, like I said, uh, this, this, uh, this new discipline of environmental psychology is that, um, but yeah, because, because, I, 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 because you said something interesting there about, you know, we're working, we're working. Yeah. But uh, we're also playing, but it's, tr- it's trying to get your hands on and, and, Really understanding what it is to uh, where people's playfulness is 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 allowed to sort of is, is set free and and what it is really in the in the landscape and in the land and in the in the appearance of it that that uh, that makes your heart beat and and I don't know if it, <laughs> I don't know if I'm getting this across is that because. You, you know, I, I guess maybe as, as, as architects, I think we have a feel for what it is that makes people excited. We get them excited. But it's when trying, we have to prove it to your client that having, you know, building the course this way instead of that way would be more fun. So it's nice to have, if we can use a discipline like environmental psychology to, to quantify those experiences and to actually tell them here. This would be more fun than this. So, because you have to communicate, obviously, to your client, um, 
and that's a big part of you know being able to uh, build what what you what you think will be the most fun to play. So yeah, it might be a bigger part than the ideas themselves of what makes golf fun to play. Modern, I don't know what might make a great hole yeah, is the convincing so. of those with the funds. That it's, it's the, the communication right aspect of yeah. it that uh, is tremendously important. It's it's is is not only conceiving the ideas themselves. That's often the easy part. The more you work in this area, in this field, it's it's communicating them to to the one that who has the final say, and um, and obviously holds the wallet, and um, so. <laughs> which is the key to everything, isn't it? Because without the wallet, yes. you don't get to build anything <laughs> yeah. at all. You said when you were growing up, you wanted to be an architect, a building architect, and when golf became your passion, uh, that you'd switch that and it seemed a natural move to go to golf course architecture. Of course, the two are very different, aren't they? What are the similarities? What drew you to building architecture? And in hindsight, was that a sensible thing to think that you could transfer your interest from building buildings to building golf courses? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I, it, the feeling is that there wasn't so much, so much thinking behind it. It's just something that I just was drawn to. I think in drawing buildings and and you know it was just uh, some kind of a creative uh uh desire or um, i don't know if it matters or mattered that uh, my grandfather whom i spent some time with at the time was a um was, was a carpenter and um, the terminology esca- escapes me in english the the one who is the a master of building houses basically a craftsman, a master builder. A, yeah, master builder. Yeah, so yeah, that's what he was. And um, was it the creative side of drawing buildings, or did the engineering aspect of building? No, it was the creative. Did you I think it, so? Right. Yeah. So it wasn't. Yeah. You didn't care how it was held up. It would just no. look good if it looked like this, and then somebody yes. else could figure out how to make sure it didn't fall down. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. That, I think that was the thing. And many and, builders uh, will still tell you that architects are still like that to this day. They hand them drawings for buildings. The builders tell them, you yeah, can't build it. It's yeah. impossible. <laughs> you often hear that. And, but that's that's also what keeps innovation going in engineering. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. But, uh, because golf courses have yeah. a similar aspect. Don't they? There is an engineering element to golf. Oh, yeah. And golf course design, which most who have an interest in the field who aren't golf course architects have no understanding of and never give a thought to. Yes. And that's what really interesting, I think, to me in golf now is that um, I love actually gathering all the constraints so that I can see them in front of me. Because now, because of, let's say that you know you're, when you're trying to to design something, you, you you I think you're you're better off, I think, uh, visualizing the whole construction sequence when you're doing it because you might say that okay. Uh, to build this, I will need much more soil in this area, or, you know, to raise this area or, or, or off the site. Or and where can I get it? Can I get it somewhere nearby? Can I even get it within, you know, within reach for a bulldozer where there's only one guy and one machine pushing it? Or will I need to go get it by by excavating it onto and hauling you know, onto a haul truck, hauling it and then dumping it and then spreading it? So I need three guys on three machines. Um, so that's going to raise the cost, and obviously, if it costs more, it's not. It's not. It's not probably not going to be as accessible to people because the prices are going to be higher, or, or you know, that, at least that's the the simple logic behind it. So I love actually gathering all these constraints. I love I love adding the constraints and in, also involved in in the growing aspect of the grass and into solar access or 
or um, you know wind chill or, or or shelter or something like that and and also the you know also things like traffic flows where where people if the course is popular it's getting high traffic you know is it is it going to form tracks along you know, near the greens or, or bottlenecks or what have you so what i love is the creative challenge you know when i've set all these constraints before me and if i can come up with a, a you know a, an unusually simple solution that uh, honors all these constraints that I've just, you know, just mentioned, and I think for me that's that's become, I guess, the creative, the, a positive creative challenge for me that keeps me engaged. Um, and uh, obviously, when you you want to set the bar high, so you want to uh, tick all these boxes, um, and and that's uh, that you know that should make, you know, I think obviously it's the fun factor that we talked about. It, it is very important, but probably the golf course would never exist in the first place if it couldn't be built within the budget and if it couldn't be maintained within a reasonable budget as well so that you get get reasonable grass quality. Yeah, the ongoing maintenance is something most of us Yeah, so it, it, these two factors, I think, kind of, kind of um, almost, you know, um, rank a bit higher than even you know the fun you know you don't have, it's not an either or thing the fun factor comes then naturally as in, in in succession but um yeah if you don't honor these two at the front then there's not going to be a project i guess and um um so yeah i i just love the, the the challenge creative challenge of trying to solve all these constraints and um and i think what you've outlined there that's, is that's for many like, of us so yeah is a lot like playing the game itself Edwin, it, it's like solving a series of puzzles, isn't it? And with each yeah. shot, there's a whole new series of puzzles open up for the following shot. If the shot has gone where you wanted it to go, you're left with the puzzles that you expected to be faced with. And if it's gone where you didn't want it to go, there's a whole different set of questions now being asked, and they need to be solved based on a bunch of factors completely different to what you might have been expecting. Similar sort of thing with the notion of building a whole thing. It's solving puzzles, isn't it? There's a series of puzzles. You solve them one by one, and then you have to figure out once you've ticked all of those boxes and solved those puzzles, what's left and what can you create with the space that you've now got that'll be interesting for the – it's quite a big undertaking, isn't it? it must be and the, yeah, and then in some cases you actually say, okay, that green site is just so spectacular that I'm going to make a conscious decision to set aside some of the constraints or I'm just going to accept a certain risk. I've, I've, I've done that. I've, For example, I've – Built built a green in that gets limited sunlight because of the you know the beautiful plantation you know around it or something, and uh, but and you know and in that particular case I mean I think I think we did the right thing because it takes the player through a certain part of the site that you just just would not want to miss. So even though that we have to have a certain other grass species on the green that is more shade tolerant and feels feels different in putting, and you know, so, so there there are obviously drawbacks to it. But on the, on the whole, I think I'm glad that we did it. But it has its you know problems associated with it. So you always have to try and weigh your options as well, and and that's obviously what makes it probably. Uh, yeah, there's there's no, there are no right or wrong answers. There probably there's probably not a right or wrong design as well um, on a site. So, and that's also what's interesting as well. You you never know if you've actually nailed it. Of course not. You never know if you've no. actually went if you actually went with 
the you know, because there's not a computer program that you can run and say, no. maximize this site, please. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> and let's hope we never get one because yeah. I'm reminded when you talked about that green that you built, sometimes we need to keep in mind perfect. You don't want perfect to be the enemy of good, do you? And if you can't answer all the questions and you don't go ahead, who knows what you miss out on? Under those circumstances, you probably wouldn't get the road hole at St. Andrews. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a fantastic example. We move the T to the left because you can't hit over the hotel. That would be mad. Yeah. In fact, yeah. that is in the, over the railway sheds is in fact what makes the whole one of the things that makes the whole uh, so, yeah, so you, fantastic. You, I've got a soft spot for the road hole. I actually, I think I'm. I think I need to see a therapist about that because um, I'm. I'm actually. I'm copying the road hole almost everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, is it? It is almost the perfect golf hole, is it not? The road hole. It feels to yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah, I've, 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 I just, yeah, I just recently did a a, a flipped version of it on a drivable par four, uh, and now I've recently also done a a par five version of it, a short par five, um, also a flipped one uh, because it, you know there were, in that case, there's an old, there's an old highway where. It's a disused one where you can see the tracks, I mean, uh, remnants of it, and uh, bringing that back to life and sticking the green way up close to there. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's fun. It, it's fun. The road hole is extremely fun to work with, I think. Yeah. People have, in, in fact, written books about it, and there'll probably be more books to come about it in the future. Yeah. So endlessly interesting, isn't it? Something you said there reminded me another another sort of correlation with the game, with the course architect. You never know whether you've got it right. You never know whether laying up on that par five would have been a better idea yeah. either, do you? Whichever yeah. decision you make, whether you decide to go for it or whether you decide to lay up, you will never know what the other decision might have produced, and you have to yes. live with that. <laughs> it's a, yeah, so you know, yeah, let's say yeah. if you didn't if you didn't go for it that day, I mean, you never know. Could I have made an eagle or or? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And when you do go for it and you hit it in the front bunker and plug and you make a double bogey, you wonder whether if you'd laid up and hit a wedge, maybe you might have made a birdie. The options what, are, are, what, are endless. What might they? have been. Yeah, indeed. One of the things that strikes me about golf, the appeal of golf, Eben, and I suspect it's one of the things that appeals to you, and I don't know why we do it, but we have this tendency to continue to try to, probably a little bit like we were saying before, take the adventurous edges off, take the adventurous edges off. It's the most free-form recreational game slash pursuit in the world, golf. is. There are almost no lines in golf. There is out of bounds on a couple of holes. Aside from that, you choose, should you want to, how, where, what. Four players can stand on the tee, hit four different clubs, choose four different ways to play the hole. It's an incredibly free-form and exciting and thrilling game to play if you approach it a certain way, isn't it? Much more so than football or any of the track and field sports or even tennis where the lines are very defined. The question, the only real questions in games like tennis and football, was it in or was it out? That's it. Uh, in golf, the questions are almost endless. In terms of sport, is it, it feels to me golf is the most cerebral pursuit of them all. It engages the brain in a way other sports simply can't be, because of those reasons. Yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely um, you know it's that unique element that I think makes it makes it so charming, and I think that's that, this is uh, you're you're mentioning things here that I've I've uh, 
naturally given a lot of thought to uh, you know the unique nature of golf, the flexibility of it, the free form nature of it, um, because of the uh, that's why we we first we first spoke really. I think it was if my calculations are correct, eleven years ago we I was on your show wow. first. That would make and, us uh, both much older than we'd like to be, Edwin. <laughs> yeah, we're not getting any younger, at least. No, we're not. Uh, we're wiser, Rod. That's, that's <laughs> Well, I'm not even sure about that. Refresh yeah. my memory. I know it was a long time ago, but I can't remember why we first came together. To yes, it God. was at the time when I when I had first written about uh, a concept that I've, uh, uh, the working title has ever since been Why 18 Holes. Of course, yes. And, um, and um, that was my, in that, my argument was that we, um, to address many of the challenges that we've already talked about here today, that uh, we should consider uh, allowing ourselves to, you know, to get used to the thought that golf courses, as they had, like they had in, 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 for centuries, you know, for each golf course to have their own unique number of holes simply based on the landscape, you know, the terrain, the, the site it sits on. And that's obviously how, how golf was played for, for hundreds of years. I mean, Montrose had 25 holes, St. Andrews had 22, Prestwick had 13. Uh, and then there were golf courses with fewer holes than that, and uh, it was simply a result of the, obviously the land, the the resources that uh, each group of people that uh, was behind the course, you know, what they had to work with, and it was just sort of it felt like a felt like a a very honest approach to the game, and and, and uh, you know just capitalizing fully on that unique aspect of it, like you said. Because, you know, uh, and, and, and since then, uh, by accident, really, if you look at it, uh, we standardized the game and, or the round of golf, that is, you know, it became 18 holes. And I think or nine. It, or nine. Or nine. As a, as a, as a, as a, as a consequence of 18. Um, and that it seems to have, uh, that, that, um, course of action seems to have been taken more, more, almost more as an accident. Uh, when in 1854, the uh, new rules were issued for the old course, but they were meant to be only for that particular golf course. And those rules said that one match is 18 holes. And then because of the influential nature of, of the old course, uh, other co- clubs started copying that. And a uh, hundred years before that, they had uh, shortened their golf course from twenty-two to 22. eighteen for other reasons. Su- I mean, yes. yeah. So, yeah. Are you suggesting, Edwin, that a hundred and something years before Instagram, St Andrews was an influencer? Is this what you're telling me? <laughs> the first influencer, perhaps? <laughs> it was an influencer. I think you're right. Yeah, and the first influencer. The first influencer. I like. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And, the uh, idea yeah. is so logical that you lay out there, Edwin. Find a piece of land that you want to build a golf course on and build the number of holes that is best for that piece of land. It's it, mm-hmm. it, Even the most intelligent person could not argue against that logically. Here's mm-hmm. a piece of land and these 16 holes would perfectly fill this in and they would be 16 extremely good holes. And yet you know very well the pushback that comes from golf that says no. You must fit 18 holes on that piece of land, even if it is to the detriment 
of four of the other holes that you've already drawn that would make yes. it fantastic. Yes. We hold so tightly to this notion of 18 or 19, including in the marketplace. There's a very real financial. You would, it is difficult to convince people, or it would be, to go and golfers, long established golfers, difficult to convince them to go and play a golf course that was 15 holes, even if they were 15 unbelievably good golf holes. You would struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I, I think I agree. I agree with you. And then obviously, I've. I'm. I've got now what, thirteen years of of speaking to people about this, and 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 actually, some people get just get basically just get angry. And I think I've I think I've lost work <laughs> because of this. And, uh, um, but it is. I think it's a tremendously interesting situation, and I think you know we we would be able to address almost all of the current challenges in the game. By by adopting this this uh, more uh, this greater flexibility, and I, what I like about it is that we're not really. It's not like we're trying to invent something new here or reinvent the wheel or something like that. I mean, we've got a game that's long-standing, and we're actually by doing this, we would be honoring the true roots of it, because it's it was played, uh, you know, as you know, if if you call it, you know, random numbers of holes or. or uh, it was played that way for for far longer than we've played the, the standardized game. Uh, so um, yeah, it depends on you know it, it would help address the uh, the competition for land and resources in the urban environment. It would uh, it you know and then in a more simplistic way or purer way, it would just simply allow the architect to build better holes for less money. Because more you're using more of what the la- of what the land is already giving you, and uh, it, it's shorter walks from green to tea. It's 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 more entertaining golf holes for less, so you get a better product for less money. And in most industries, I would think that that's a good idea. Um, but okay, but you've that's, been that's around golf long uh, enough to know, Edwin, that that's not how we do things in golf. Yeah, yeah, I think we, it, it's 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 coming back to emotions. It's it's it's. Um, and then obviously also the TV effect. I just basically what I need now is a, is a crazy marketing director for a large <laughs> firm who is the sponsor of a tour event to actually go out there and stage one event over a number. In all of seriousness, yeah. is there an opportunity there for a disruptor? It's a word I find predominantly yeah. distasteful, but is there an opportunity for a disruptor in the market to perhaps start a movement in this direction? Yeah. We're advertising for one right now. Fabulous. Okay, yeah, let's let's do that. Fingers crossed. Through your show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for lending sure me your much, show to do that. Uh, I'm not sure how much influence <laughs> it has, Edwin, but I hope that somebody out there is yeah. uh, is listening because it is interesting. Is the website y18holes.com still live and running? Yes. Yes. I absolutely yes. recommend people go and have a read. There is some fabulous and fascinating stuff on there. Interesting tidbits about the history of the game that people would not have ever known uh, yeah. and why it makes so much sense, the notion of y18holes.com. Uh, so congratulations you're, to you on that. You're, you're very kind, Rod. Uh, the, and, and what's in – what's what I actually I, – I put a little bit of a – well, at least a big milestone in that work was uh, – uh, two and a half years ago now, where we um, at the uh, USGA's Innovation Symposium in Tokyo, 
we jointly announced because we had been working together uh, leading up to that uh, with the golf handicapping and course rating people at the USGA uh, to because obviously a, a lot of us know that uh, we now have the world handicapping system and in its development I mean obviously for the first time uh, we, 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 we finally have a, a worldwide system where we had seven or eight systems before um, we were now able to uh, to enable people under the new system to play any number of golf holes to a handicap from each national federation will have uh, discretion in that I mean if they if they want to go from nine down to seven holes uh, that's the minimum and then from seven holes, uh, you can play any number of holes uh, to a handicap now. So that's that's that was a big milestone for us, and we worked together you know, to develop this and and to and to get this into the new system now. And we jointly uh, announced that in Tokyo in 2019. So that was a big, I think I think big big moment for the, for that for that project. Tiff Tough Hybrid Bermuda, tough by name, tough by nature. This sports turf variety supplied by Lawn Solutions Australia is taking sport to another level. With superior drought tolerance, speedy recovery and toughness, Tiff Tough really is the smart grass. For more information and your nearest supplier, head to lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. You've led me neatly, Edwin, to something that I did want to ask you about. And I think there may be some cultural things. I think Australia has a somewhat unique golf culture as in it's different to the golf culture that you find in the UK and I think there's a very definite golf culture in the UK there's a definite golf culture in the US there's a definite golf culture here I feel like there's a golf culture in the Nordic countries as well Iceland Norway Sweden probably we think particularly probably of Sweden but I think Iceland is probably similar it's a different approach to the game perhaps more relaxed in some ways than we have even here in Australia we play a lot of competition golf here in Australia the Golf Union of Iceland, I think, is the administrative body there, announced, I think, in 2017, tournaments could be played over any number of holes that the yeah. club or tournament organiser chose. If you wanted to have a 12-hole tournament, you could, and that would be a legitimate tournament. You would have a riot in Australia if you suggested that. Is there something yeah. culturally that allows innovation and a different way of thinking about the game in your part of the world that we perhaps could really do with taking note of in other parts of the golf world? Well, there was a riot. <laughs> <laughs> was there? <laughs> well, well, I'm not, not yeah, well, kind of. But uh, the thing, what the, what the golf union did was that uh, at a similar time, um, obviously they're influenced by frequent visits made by myself to the offices. So yes. <laughs> you are so, a very influential golf. No, they're, they're, so they're, 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 they've had to listen to the same guy, you know, bla, you know, babbling with the same old stuff every day, every, every time. Um, but what happened was that the national match play championship was, was held in the West, Westman islands. And, uh, uh, what sparked this kind of uh, maybe a unique approach to that event was that um, okay, you know, we'll be honest about that. Some of the greens on the on the co the coastal greens had been suffering due to salt spray that year. So, and we, you know, we just said, okay, I mean, why do we bother the players, you know, putting those greens? Why don't we just play around them and just leave them out? So we just basically rerouted the course 
to to include 13 holes that were well connected to one another and we played the matches as, as 13 hole matches and um it was an interesting dynamic i think after you know uh, in hindsight uh, the, the players they didn't dislike it i didn't think i think they were able to put on better greens they were uh the matches were you had to you know you had to play well from the start um yeah, there's a, there was a there was a big learning curve in that, and it was very interesting. There were there were slightly more matches that went to extra holes because you know there there are more there are, the odds are higher that the the match is tied uh, because you haven't played as many. Um, so it was a it was it was very interesting. I think it went very well, and as a result of that, the golf union decided to uh, omit from all their regulations for each tournament that they have you know the the junior match play the you know the the main match play event or, or the stroke play or national stroke play and the team events that they just omitted from from every regulation the reference to the number of holes so that they're no longer they no longer have the um they are no longer bound by the 18. It's not stipulated. Club yeah, it's not stipulated. That, that's true. Organizer can decide. So that was in many ways a, a very a symbolic move, but that was all it was. Um, but we did stage that tournament, which so it was a national championship that was played over 13 holes, which and obviously I'm very glad actually that it happened um, in my home country, you know, um, and it, it and it did go well. Um so there's nothing, you know, there was nothing in that exercise that uh, suggested that it shouldn't or couldn't be done. And uh, the fact that it happened on my 40th birthday was, was completely irrelevant. <laughs> it's a, t- t- a total coincidence, Edwin. <laughs> and where did the riot come? Was not everybody no, happy <clears throat> with the notion? Uh, it was, you know, just social media chatter, basically. It's And, it, and, it, and, and that went... Along the similar lines, what we've talked about, what you talked about earlier on this program now, is that people wanted to compare golf to football or tennis, or it was like it's like you know they said it's like playing without the penalty box on one side or something like that, and and uh, um, while obviously our our logic is that we were capitalizing on the truly unique aspect of golf that it's unlike any other game like you said before and and obviously paying paying a, a truer homage to the roots like i yeah. said before so people always throw those comparisons don't they anytime you suggest anything that people think is radical in golf there's a whole generation or it seems a whole cohort of golfers who want the game to have much more fixed lines much more. A championship yeah. golf course must have four par fives, four par threes, and be a par of seventy-two. Otherwise, it's not a proper "quote unquote" golf course. You miss out on so much when you make these sorts of guiding parameters that are so strident, don't you? Golf misses out on so much. You don't have Shiskin and yeah. the Island of Arrow, yeah, and that, twelve holes. And I think, and I think that's why. I mean, I think. Uh, those who are, you know, skeptical of the idea or, or against it for some reason, I think um, I've tried to encourage them to to really consider, you know, why do you think we're talking about this? I mean, why do you think we're doing this? We're trying to increase our ability to create a playground that you enjoy more. Um, 
so you know because if you're constrained you know if you're bound to the you know to that exact number of holes coming back to the clubhouse and even more than once you've got two loops of nine and all these constraints and that just simply means that you have to make sacrifices here and there you'll probably have to leave out that beautiful par three that sat in a natural pocket somewhere because it just you know you ended up with too many holes or Obviously, we've found a way to do that at Barn Boogle and things like that, you know, and places like that, a European club in Ireland, and we've got the extra holes where people just don't want to walk past them without having a hit. Um, so, but you know, it's basically that. It's, it's, it's sometimes you want to route golf holes through a certain piece of the property that uh, would simply just end up with too many or, or too few or, but meaning that you would probably miss out on on having being able to walk through a very charming part of the site, or or having certain vistas to look to look at, or um, yeah, it's like you said, it's just I think it's hard for people to actually imagine what we would gain from you know going back to this more simpler this simple approach. Yeah, I think it's probably the one thing Mackenzie might change about the legacy that he left in golf was that one line in the 13 principles yes. about the returning nines. I think he might have even said that afterwards. Not that he necessarily regretted writing it, but he perhaps regretted the effect that that had had, the impact that that had had on a right. bunch yeah. of people. Who I think that that's that. Yeah, that that's my only edit. It's yeah, right. Thirteen. The rest principle. is perfect. We make them twelve and leave it at that. I mentioned Mike Clayton before, and I'm going to mention him again. You would follow Mike on Twitter, and he does something which I think is really interesting. That I think a lot of people find really interesting. He likes to take photos when he's out on the golf course of holes that aren't holes. <laughs> yeah, as if we played from this tee to that green. I actually think there's room if we were to do that. If every club in the world every now and then did that with their golf course, said, right, we're going to play from the first green to the second tee, uh, the first tee to the second green today. That brings back, because then nobody's got any notion of par, do they? It brings back and shows to people how much fun that can be. You're not worried about whether you make five, six or seven because there's no there's no, no expectation being set on the tee. It'd be a wonderful experience for most golfers to try, wouldn't it, from time to time? Yeah. When you when you say that there there was a club that I belonged to once that did this every year, uh, one day a year. Uh, so yeah, and I think I think I think it's a lovely idea, and I think I'll right go right now once we finish talking and and, uh, and promote it. <laughs> yeah. I tell you the other thing I'd love to see it. I'm not sure whether you do this in in uh, Iceland. In Australia, every month we have the monthly medal. It's the only stroke play event. We play stable mm-hmm. for almost every other competition, and so that Saturday of the month, the golf course is set up at its absolute longest with the pins in the hardest position. It's the monthly medal. It's the, the, the most difficult round of the month. <laughs> I am absolutely convinced that once a year, the monthly medal should, in fact, be off the forwardmost tees to the easiest pins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once a year, just once a year, and see how everybody enjoys it. It's the same test for everybody. You still have the same company. Everybody's playing the same golf course. And if it's as easy as people think, well, even the 10 markers will shoot under par, won't they? Well, it's that it's that idea with uh, where people associate difficulty with quality, um, which seems to be very common uh, in golf. And um, yeah, that's that's obviously something. But it can be true. This is the problem. Pine Valley. I, I remember Mike Clayton told me Pine Valley and Pinehurst. I think he said are the two most difficult golf courses he's ever played. They're also two of the best. 
But causation and correlation and that whole notion, just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's good, does it? The tenth hole at Royal Melbourne West is a very difficult golf hole, the, the drivable par four over the huge blowout mm-hmm. bunker. For yeah. most of it, it's a very difficult golf hole. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward tee shot. And it's a difficult approach for the, the double-digit handicap player. But it's a great hole despite its difficulty and perhaps because of its difficulty as well. And I wonder how much that influences this notion that the more difficult you make it, the better it must be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a little bit of a problem. You know, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I think we talk about this. We've, we've uh, obviously, you know, for years we've, we've uh, and I think many of us have agreed, you know, that, that this and that course is, is the best and, but if if we really think about okay, I mean, who are the ones you know, including us, that who are you know who are who are ranking these courses sort of informally and and uh, and, and agreeing on which ones are the most desirable to emulate and the ones that are you know considered the best. Almost all of us, you know, we're we've played the game for a while. We were fairly skilled at it, so we can navigate these courses without. Being stuck out there for hours searching for balls or, you know, playing one skull shot after the next and just really getting into trouble and perhaps losing the enjoyment that uh, the high handicapper would probably. Um, but if you look at the, uh, the largest customer group, um, that's the last time I checked, um, the average handicap for, for men, was 29 point something and um, more than 40 for women. Um, and obviously trying to increase the ratio of women in the game. If you look at the swing speeds for many women in golf, they, um, they there is, um, there's very little lift in the shot. The ball needs a, a, a large landing area to stop and, um, so hazards in front of greens and things like that. You're kind of almost bound to we could even just put the tee back in behind the green because that's where they're bound to hit over the green always and they're chipping back so i mean so you know the more i've thought about our largest customer group the high handicappers the it seems like they feel that they don't have a voice they are not allowed to express themselves and, and tell and and say what they you know, if they if they like this or that course, because they they as, they assume a certain responsibility to improve it at the game before they can have a say. Um, I mean, I mean, if you took a high handicapper to Pine Valley, they they wouldn't enjoy it. No, no, no. So is Pine Valley then a good golf course? I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just putting. I know. It I appreciate what you're saying. So so you, you've raised something very interesting, which is golf's pecking order. Isn't it? Golf has a pecking yeah, order. Yeah, you could say that. And the, yeah. the better you are physically at the game, the higher up the pecking order you sit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which to me makes people like Mike Clayton, I think of again, particularly important. Uh, a man who's made his living playing the game for the best part of 30 years, so that is an extraordinary talent, who understands the game at a level, as you're discussing for a much broader range of people, who you're right, feel they don't have a voice. You would have heard this yourself. I'm not good enough to have lessons yet. People will tell you when they find out that you're yes, I'm not good enough to have example, lessons. For example, I put out a survey once, just a test sort of online survey, and I and I tried to get my mother-in-law and I tried to get, you know, some of the la- older ladies to to respond because I wanted to hear what they 
what they have to say. And she said, no, I'm not good enough to even participate in the survey. So I was like, you know, just tell, tell me, you know, I, I, I need, I need to hear that voice, you know, and because that's the, that's the, the core group that if a golf course is to thrive, you know, it needs to appeal to that group. And I'm, you know, you could actually, I mean, it, it, it's not an either or, but you could actually say that, you know, in order to be considered a, a top golf course, you need to accommodate that group. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a niche. It's a niche course. Yes, only for good players. <laughs> and Pine Valley is, is a niche course. Oh, absolutely it is, yes. Indeed. And it just, seems to, it just happens to appeal to the most influential group, the loudest voices and not the largest. You know, it, it, it's, it, we should appeal, appeal to the largest groups, not the loudest groups. Does the largest group have a responsibility to get better? That was, that was a very interesting. Well, they thing they assume that I think. Uh, Do they? But they don't. I think they assume that. I think that's what Callaway Golf found in their market research in the eighties, is that you know when they were on the way to develop the larger heads and things, um, they one of their one of the, the feed one and one of the a part of the feedback that they got is that the 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 new players are the higher handicaps. They assumed a certain responsibility to improve. You know, they saw that the equipment was obviously challenging to play with, and the courses were challenging to play. And but they they, they accepted that. They accepted that as that they had just had to improve. And um, and I wonder now because today and in the and even more so in the future, a land and resource demanding game like golf. Uh, has an ethical responsibility to be accessible and easily adopted. And that's what I think, at least. And um, that's why I think that element is becoming ever more important. Um, it, it doesn't mean that we have to change everything that we're doing. It might also, some other things might help. For example, the size of the golf ball is if you look it up, it, there is no maximum on the size of the golf ball, at least last time I checked. So, for example, one way to do it would be, for example, when you have new players, uh, high handicappers, their swing speeds are very low. So let's say if they had a larger ball, a considerably larger ball with more Heavy. area on the, on, the, on the lower hemisphere to hit and get airborne, how big would you be thinking? Tennis ball size Ooh, or halfway between no, a golf ball and tennis not ball? Not quite. I mean, it would have probably have to be somewhere in between, I guess, a golf ball and a tennis ball. Just, okay. uh, but yeah. just a noticeably larger, right. easily. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to me, it should be a natural part of the game for, for you know, high handicappers or new players to start with a large ball and then just working their way to the main ball. A beginner's ball. Be yeah, yeah, because... Uh, a larger golf ball is not as aerodynamic in many ways, but it doesn't hurt because their, their swing speed is so low, they're not losing any distance, and they're actually gaining distance if they hit it in the right hemisphere. So um, so I think, I think all of these things idea. would help us. Yeah. You know, so I, think, idea. Uh, that's, I, think, I think that's just one, one of many steps that could be taken to make the game more uh, accessible and easily adopted because I think... I'm not trying to, you know, in, in, in describing this or suggesting this, I'm not trying to take away any of the, of the, of the charm that, uh, that, that, uh, 
that the game offers to people who have played the game for a long time and are reasonably skilled at it. You know, I think I think we, the, the two of us, are in that group. Just we're yes. just we've just been in it for so long, and there, it's not taking anything away from us. It's I think no. we're just making it more approachable, and I think the like I said, the ethical responsibility that golf has now using all that land and resources. I think it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be very, very important. It needs to and, make a uh, return on investment, doesn't it? Two things about yeah. that. Well, one thing I'd like to say about that. The other great thing about that, Redwin, is don't make the hole any bigger and we'll get a, a, a generation of much better putters. They'll naturally get better at putting if they've got to put yeah. a bigger hole, bigger ball into a smaller hole. So that'll be one good thing. Uh, yeah. But it's yeah. interesting what you say about golf's place in society going forward because this is really what we're talking about. As you say, it's a resource, a heavily resource-dependent luxury is golf. So what's its place going to be? You mentioned right at the very start that you think golf is a vehicle for so much more than just a recreational pursuit. What are some of those things you're talking about when you say that? I agree with you, but I'd like to hear what you think golf can give beyond just the playing of the game for some interest and a bit of fun. Yeah. Um, the first, I think, first of all... Um I must let's say okay. In doing this, we're assuming that the golf course is reasonably well located, planned, designed, and built and maintained, and that comes down to you know where it is. Obviously, in terms of accessibility, what kind of soils it's using. You know, if it's if it's yeah. So, so that's important. We'll come back to that that I think a bit later on. But first and foremost, I I look at the. I'm fascinated by the health, the public health element. It's the uh, walking on a soft, a reasonably rolling surface for hours on end uh, with a heart rate, especially for the older groups, with a heart rate that's very close to the recommended exercise rate by doctors. Uh, so when you know and the, the thing about golf like you say the thing about golf is that <laughs> as though there's it, one thing about golf edwin that's right the, the thing about golf yeah that's right is that you wouldn't go out there and walk on that type of surface for that long unless you were chasing a golf ball you just simply wouldn't and i mean okay in some cases you probably would be but then you're probably walking on asphalt or, or gravel or something like that You'd have to be madder to walk a golf course and not play golf than you have to be to actually walk a golf course and play golf. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'll give you that. You you can do that. If if that floats your boat, then then fine. Okay, you can walk. Um, But, you know, as architects, we often walk the courses with a camera instead of playing them. So, but, uh, which is, which is, I think, tells you a little bit how weird that we can health be. aspect, Edwin, is hugely underrated, isn't it? I don't think it's understood yes. by the people who need to understand it in governments and decision-making bodies. Yes, how yes. important that health aspect is, and that's partly due to one of golf's great problems, which is its image. Non-golfers assume that all golfers ride around in golf carts. Now, too many do. Mm. That is true. Mm-hmm. But if we encouraged more people to walk. There are genuine and very real health benefits to be had. You're right. And yes. We do not sell yes. that aspect. Obviously, the there is some walking involved in some exercise, even though if you use a cart, but but much 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 less, obviously. And then what I, what I think is important that is that we try to uh, keep the courses as walkable as possible to delay a person's shift from walking to the cart. I mean, once you get very old and you're you know you your mobility decreases. 
So the cart in that respect is is a gift as well. If it can help a lot of the the oldest people to uh, to enjoy the game. So I think if we can, if we can keep golf carts to you know confined to that purpose, that would be fantastic. But the, the walkability of the course is it's tremendously important. And I think uh, I've, I've to me it's been interesting. I've tried to quantify that more when I'm designing something new or even just analyzing existing courses. I'm trying to. I'm measuring the the you know the the walking distance from green to tea, and, and more importantly, the climb actually. The cases where you're walking uphill, how much and in what kind of in what gradient, and uh, trying to work that out if that's within reasonable limits or not. So that's I think that's an interesting. It's sort of I think it's something that we should be using more as a tool to help us evaluate or or, or between you know routing proposals or or things like that. Um. Yeah. So I mean, so the 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 public health element is in my in my my view uh, one that I'm probably most fascinated with, and probably the the hardest hitting element in 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 terms of the the contribution of golf to our communities. Um. So that's that's obviously huge. Then, uh, secondly, I would say the tour tourism wise. Uh, both domestic and international. Uh, what's interesting in tourism that is that you've got reports for, from Scotland, Gulf Scotland and, and Ireland and other places that say that, uh, a traveling golfer spends three to four times more, uh, on a trip than the, your typical traveler. So a golf, you know, a golf could be used much more systematically to, you know, in your in your tourism authority's quest for quality over quantity in tourism, because in many countries now over tourism is a is a thing where you've got too much, you know, traffic going on in at in near natural attractions and things like that, and and obviously pollution and the way how we travel and then if we travel alone or in groups or by plane or by boat or what have you, but. Um, golf is a way to attract, at least get the eyes and ears, uh, of, of a traveler that, uh, okay. I mean, we're golf is a public sport, fortunately, in many parts of the world, but in some places, it's, it's a way to focus on people who have money to spend. So in, in this regard, you know, we can use that to our advantage and, and, uh, and, and use golf systematically to, to appeal to, to tourists that would come and they would use and they would buy other services. They would use, you know, they would take a rental car. They will stay in the hotels. They're going to the restaurants and the museums and they're doing stuff. So, so yeah, so that's, that's obviously, uh, something that I'm interested in as well. So we've got public health. We've got tourism. And then we've got the, uh, let's say the green space, the, the, your city's green space and the use of green space. And I think that's also very fascinating is that in that, and I think that's probably something you've touched on now in, with, with some recent, uh, newspaper articles and, and discussions that I've seen from your Twitter accounts from Michael Clayton's and, and some other Australian friends is that, uh, there seems to have been some, there seems to have been a discussion about what to do with certain Certain areas in your cities and towns uh, that now have golf courses, and, and and there have been plans to maybe close them up, or 
and that's obviously been taking place in all in many many countries uh similar discussions uh, i think and i think that what we are failing to communicate is that our golf course and maybe also failing in in executing in a better way is that golf courses can be mixed with other land uses in a in a in a much much more and in, in much in a much better way than we i think in that we actually do in many places um allowing others to enjoy these landscapes as well with through the you know well designed public footpaths bridle ways uh using golf courses for out as outdoor classrooms for nearby schools you know and things like that so there are so many ways to do this and it would in doing that obviously we're sharing the space which is a tremendously important thing but it also it's also making golf more visible it's breaking down the barriers that we we know that have existed let's say you let's say how how do people know how, how what's their acquaintance of you know uh, to golf i mean are they are they driving past a golf course on the way to work where they see private property keep out they see a fence up or things like that and then they go home and they watch the news and then there was last weekend's tournament and the guy is holding up a huge check in front of a fountain you know it says money it says resource use water use exp- green expanses and it's got and then you're watching a movie in the evening and that's high two high level executives making shady deals on the golf course so that's kind of what you know <laughs> so breaking down these barriers allowing others to use the sites as well with us and that actually produces a very interesting dynamic and that basically that turns the golf course into a public park and one that the city it depends on the business model though if this if it's a truly municipal course that the city's running okay but the golf course is paying for the maintenance of that park if it didn't have a golf course you'd have to put the maintenance of all that area on your city's budget um so yeah i mean so uh, like i say golfers are people too uh often we <laughs> yes. we often we don't count the the usage hours amongst the golfers i mean because let's say if one person visits a golf course that's almost like that's almost like five usage hours right yes so and uh, and, and, and that would be an interesting yeah. study i've always thought edwin of how much how many minutes per day a public park, a football field, and a golf course broken down by the space that mm-hmm. they occupy, what's mm-hmm. their return on investment in terms of time used by residents? I think golf would stand up reasonably well. Most yeah. football fields in particular are pretty much empty Monday to Friday, morning till there might be some training during the evenings for some of the local teams. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of time that football pitches in particular don't do anything. Parks are often not particularly well populated. There are times when it's busy. And I think golf, round the clock, 24-7, probably holds up reasonably well in a mathematical formula about that. But it's interesting the things that you're talking about there. This is what strikes me, and this is, I think, what the difficulty is for those of us within golf. Those changes that you're talking about are the ones that need to come from within golf. Yeah. They are golf's responsibility. It's not up to non-golfers to educate themselves about golf. Mm-hmm. they can take the images they see. I probably have completely incorrect beliefs about sailing, for example, 
I would imagine sailing is extremely expensive. It's for a small, rich set of people who live near the water in our major cities, which is the most expensive real estate. That would be a, an assumption many people would make. It may not be the case. It's not my job to go and investigate that. If somebody's sitting at home and has a poor image of golf, it's not their job to go and change it. It's it's the job of golf and golfers to change that. And that's golf doesn't do a good job of that, and golfers don't do a good job. In fact, we do a terrible job because often the reaction when there's any suggestion about a golf course closing by golfers is not to say, well, hang on, how can we share the place? It's to say, mm-hmm. hands off. Leave our yes. golf course alone. Don't come in here. Don't. There's a real danger for golf that we will talk ourselves out of communities if we're not careful. Uh, that's what actually that's what's happening. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, because we're always talking to ourselves, uh, like we're doing now. We're 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 kind of talking so us, you know. We're talking our way into obviously keeping the golf courses, but we need to to do the same externally. So yes. Um, yeah. So I mean, because golf has a so case think, to make, doesn't it? It has a good case to make. We just oh, need absolutely. To look at. I mean, absolutely. And I think if we can just make sure that we, because there's probably a fork in the road now. Okay, let's just make sure that we choose the road, the fork that, or the road that um, will include more you know, of these elements that we've talked about that are sort of. Uh, you know, belong to the idea of responsible golf, right? Um, you know, be proactive. You know, don't just go out and reach suddenly reach out to other stakeholders in, in near you when you're in trouble. Uh, make a make an effort to uh, invite other stakeholders f- to a meeting in the clubhouse. You know, for a coffee and say because we one thing uh, there's a horse riding club that we. Uh, at one, near one of the courses I was working on that wanted to expand. And, um, you know, and, and there's a rich tradition in Iceland for sort of horse riding and, and sort of countryside horse riding on, 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 on paths, you know, uh, extensive path networks, uh, you know, run here and there. And we just invited them to the clubhouse and said, you know, you know, here's the thing. We, we would really like to expand the golf course and, 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 and things like that. But okay, here we're just trying to get a better understanding of, of the needs of others in our community. And so we would just ask them to tell us what their dream vision was. And they just told us that they really wanted to get a bridle path to run from here to there. And that's what they were trying to get the town to do and things like that. And then we just said, okay, can't we just try and build that into what we're doing? And we might need to build a hall road, you know, to build the course. And would you, could you use that afterwards? And things like that. And I, you wouldn't believe that the different tone and, and atmosphere that was enjoyed, um, sort of afterwards, you know, it was so much easier to work with. And we just, we, yeah, we just got a whole new, a whole new power there in the community that was on our side. And, uh, and, and I think we were just, we were able to convince them that we were genuine about, um, you know, just that, that what we were doing would have a positive influence on our, on, on our, on our community. And when, if you get people on board with that, it's just a completely different thing. Be a good neighbor, Edwin. 
be a good yeah, name. Exactly. As a golf and I think and I think it it with what it what it does is that for all of us, I mean we you know, all all the people that are working in the club, you know, whether it's the ones who are get paid for it and the ones who are doing it as volunteers, uh, it gives you a whole new dimension. It you know, the passion there's another level to the passion. You suddenly realize that you're not only able to, you know, to uh, enjoy working in golf, your favorite sport and that kind of thing. But you're also able to enjoy and, 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 and realize that what you're doing is actually for the greater good. And, and I think, I, and I found that uh, that energizes people in a whole new way. Uh, because we all we don't want to be a liability. We want to be a part of the solution, right? So, so I think I, th- I found that very fascinating, and that's what I love to be a part of. And um, and I think lastly, because we've we've now talked about uh, public health, we've talked about tourism, we've talked about the, the urban green space, and then we can also talk about the and you know sort of um, uh, environmental impact in the larger context. And what's very interesting now is that, again, assuming that the golf course is in the right place in terms of what kind of soil it's using, and that's the climate, uh, the all-encompassing uh, climate issues, climate action, climate crisis, whatever you want to call it. And it's just simply, I think, obviously, we know that there's uh, conflicting opinions here. But the you know if okay let's if we stick with the science it's saying that there's too much CO2 and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and that's causing unstable weather and and and, and all these other challenges that we are facing even on a day to day basis. Um, so to start at the beginning, now the, the, a big part of the solution for us as mankind now is to try and convert or suck CO2 and other greenhouse greenhouse gases from the atmosphere and lock it in. The soil, or, or or biomass, or whatever, what have you, and now we were we're living in a very interesting time now because you know, especially for those who are who, who are you know who are fascinated about golf and 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 want, want golf to do well, is that mown grass can actually store carbon in the soil and biomass just like trees do. Oh, I didn't know that. And what is interesting, we've never actually thought about, uh, because it's maybe too close to us, is that golf courses have been mowing fairways and mown roughs so frequently for decades, even hundreds of years. Well, I'll say decades, the mowing technology, right? Um, we're mowing them so frequently so that we leave the clippings in the sward because they're so small. They can be left in and they actually break down and as nutrition, and, and they contribute to uh, uh, the buildup of carbon in the soil. So that's a very unique practice because very, very few others in, in our communities are mowing grass that frequently and that's leaving brilliant. it in, almost, almost nobody. The big thing is that with new technology, electric robotic mowers, mm-hmm. almost everyone else will be able to do that is almost is already able to do that and will be able to do that in coming years. Municipalities will be able to use the same approach to maintain highway medians or public parks or or private parks, you know, private gardens and home lawns and things like that. Um, so basically, what we're seeing is that we're seeing that already golf courses are 
if they're on the right soil you'll have let's say if you're if you're on wetlands if you if you've drained wetlands to uh, accommodate your your farm or your golf course what have you you are lowering the water table which means that more you know oxygen is gets in touch with a greater depth in the soil and that means that you release uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere so if you can avoid the use of wetlands fantastic on mineral soils including sand which we associate with quality in golf mm-hmm. yep. that is where you're most likely storing considerable levels of carbon in your fairways and mown roughs so a golf course is and and should be considered more a carbon sink in our you know in in our in, in our communities and especially now when the mowing technology is becoming cleaner so the actual carbon footprint of your operations is going down 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 because we're now going into more electricity even off grid electricity where your robotic mowers like those small Roomba vacuum cleaners you know it, that's basically yes, the, the, that's right, yeah. many many countless countless small ones like that and they charge themselves in charging stations that could be on solar panels or of course or, yeah. yes because obviously you you need you need you need daylight to for the grass to grow so it's it's associated with <laughs> yeah so so that's so yeah so so we're hopefully seeing that golf course golf courses can be redefined in our communities as carbon sinks which will be obviously a huge thing it already is and will be even more so so i think obviously now we're going it's it's a bit of a, it's it's a bit technical here but um we've now at least talked about four pillars of the idea of uh, of how golf can contribute beyond golf um and uh, i think all, each of these four is 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 uh, is underutilized today so yeah couldn't couldn't agree more couldn't agree more and of course none of those things edwin have anything to do with drawing and building interesting golf holes which is technically <laughs> kind of your job as a golf course architect but it's funny how this game gets under the skin isn't it and you you start to think about it in ways totally unrelated to the area that you might be practicing in the whole game gets under your skin doesn't it and you you can't help but yeah yeah be taken by it all last thing for me because i've taken more of your time than i meant to no 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 we're is we're it, I'm not in a hurry at all. I enjoy very much, uh, you know, because I think it's 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 nutrition really to, to talk about these things, to exchange ideas, and lovely so idea. please nutrition. Go ahead. That's a lovely idea, Edwin. Beautiful. <laughs> is it difficult for me to get to Iceland for a golf holiday? And is Iceland set up for me to come for a golf holiday? Are the courses accessible? Where should I play? What's it going to cost me? Yeah. Um, Iceland, yes. I mean, there's there are flights from you know the, the all the major airports in the obviously in the U.S. and in Europe on the mainland, uh, London, Paris, uh, Stockholm, uh, and then probably and not others. Sydney direct. I don't think it. No, we can't fly Sydney Reykjavik. I don't think not direct. No, but <laughs> I mean, when I did it, it was it was through London. It was London, Dubai. Uh, uh-huh. That was that was what I did. And um, I always remember that because you know a bit of a story for you. When I when we went, I actually on the way home I actually went from Wellington, so it was Wellington, Sydney, Dubai, uh-huh. uh, London, Reykjavik. London. 
Yeah. And when we sat on the tarmac, we watched a full movie on the tarmac in Wellington because we missed <laughs> the weather window to take off from that particular, uh, from a certain runway because the residents Windy Wellington, they call it. It's, yeah. a, it's a, <laughs> one of the windiest so, cities in the world, Wellington, yeah. I was awake for a full work week on that <laughs> trip home, so that was, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> but yes… Um, when you yeah, when you're in the country, I mean, the courses are very accessible. They're, all of them are public, um, and obviously in the in the city, the, they have a tendency to be there's a tendency to have sorry uh, large volume of traffic because of the popularity and and obviously the lack of new golf courses in the city because I mean we're we're trying to com- we're obviously competing with others for space. Um, the you know so you but you should be always you should always be able to to get on in the evenings for example to play some some midnight golf or just evening golf and um so that's fine and then as you go outside the city uh, there's much more availability and then price wise yeah price wise i mean especially the courses that have so much traffic in the city they they're kind of almost using their green fees for for people outside the clubs as a tool to in, you know to to manage the the traffic so they they'll have a tendency to have a higher green fee. So in that case, I mean, you're talking about um, yeah, about a hundred dollars or something like that. U.S. Uh, yeah, U.S. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, not even not. I would I would even say maybe Australian. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. So good. So good value. Which side of the road do you drive on? We drive on the right side, Rod. The incorrect the right side, side. You mean the, the incorrect <laughs> yeah. side? The yeah, side but I meant maybe what I what I wanted to add, maybe add to this is that if you when you go outside the city, the, the green fee dramatically drops, and uh, you're probably looking at forty dollars or something like that. Okay. Uh, As an experience, um, Edwin. I mean, apart from anything, what a wonderfully adventurous or adventure it would be to go to a place like it. Most of us who think about a golf holiday, the first place you think of is Scotland. And if you've been to Scotland, Scotland, Ireland, parts of England, and then the next place you think of when you're in this hemisphere is maybe America. You might go to Pinehurst and Bandon Dunes. We all know the names. You can rattle off yes. the places you'd like to go. There's something wonderfully appealing about the adventure of going to somewhere like Iceland. I know that there's been a few stories written and videos made. People have done it, and it just looks amazing. And I think there's a market there for it somehow. There, there's enough adventurous yeah. spirit left in golf, I think, and what will we see? Um, as I said, I've seen some photos of amazing-looking golf courses in Iceland. Um, what sorts of things might we see if we come to Iceland? What will the golf remind us of? You said New Zealand yeah. earlier, the South Island. Well, yeah, I mean, you'll be – I mean, it, it, it's two worlds. You're you're playing golf in the city where you're. It's, it's more what you're used to, though. I mean, it's more professionally run. There's more people around. There's more staff. There's more traffic. But still, you're get, you get up close – to some really interesting, you know, nature. You're on the coast, you know, the crashing waves. You're, 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 or you're playing in lava. Where you know, if you go off off the fairway, you're in lava. So it's a new, new, a new challenge for you. Um, and and just that variety of landscape: sandy beaches, cliff top coastlines. Uh, then as you go outside the city, there's a completely different world out there. I mean, that's, that almost becomes like a golfing playground somehow. I mean, it's more quirky courses, more natural. Uh, some of them are in sort of culture landscapes like farmland, but still sort of, uh, leaning, to, you know, into mountainsides and interesting lava or rocky outcroppings and hillsides and, and natural, 
natural brooks and streams that way you know you can hear the sounds of the trickling water and the you know, and, and, and the crashing waterfalls and things like that you 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 can get close to natural attractions that you you don't really find in many other places and um uh, and also if if you if you're into that kind of thing you you you'll be playing maybe if you if you if you're playing sort of uh in the early evenings you might be playing with a local fisherman or a farmer or a so you know it's it's where people come together uh, you know after work in these smaller towns for example and that's I think what I find of an extremely fascinating environment and that's it's just and that that that's where you can really feel how how sort of mainstream the game has become or in the sense that it's a, it's a truly public game you know it's played by everyone and uh, you know, in the same group, you'll have a lawyer or a doctor, and a fisherman or a farmer, and a plumber, and a... so I mean, for me, that's just that's just fantastic. And uh, one of golf's most wonderful aspects, isn't it? That notion that the mechanic can be a better golfer than the lawyer, and both can yes. get on on the golf course in a way that they wouldn't in another social setting. Even though the, the lawyer would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. He could make a case, give him a day or two, and he'll find some facts that'll. Uh... Yeah, yeah. And it, it's also it, it that also brings you to the the, the mental benefits and you know, the benefits in mental health is that for many many people who have reached a certain age, isolation becomes uh, a big worry. Uh, maybe you've lost your spouse. Uh, for many. Being having the ability to go out there and play with others and meet your friends and you know enjoying that healthy exercise and social interaction is just you know you just priceless. can't put a price on it. Yeah, it's priceless, Edwin. Yeah. I always love talking to you, and I have loved talking to you again today. And I hope more people come to follow you on Twitter and read some of your writings. Uh, your website has quite a few essays, I think, from memory that you've written over time about golf and some of your thoughts on it. Yeah, hopefully I, I keep. A, uh, hopefully I, uh, I do a fairly <laughs> decent job of keeping them all in the same place. It's a healthy reminder, you know, speaking to you now that I should maybe have a look at them, and, and <laughs> maybe making <laughs> sure that they're, I, I tidy things up a little bit. It's hard to keep up with anyone, but I do recommend people go to Y eighteen holes. Where else can we find you quickly before we go on social media and the internet? Where can we find Edwin Ronald and his thoughts? Yeah, yeah, my Twitter is Edwin Roald and, 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 and most other the social media as well. And then, uh, my small, modest company, uh, is called Eureka Golf. So that's Eureka.golf. We have a golf URL now. And then, uh, lastly, uh, for those who are interested in, in following maybe the progress in the, uh, what we talked about in the, in the climate and the carbon. Uh, research. Mm, yes, that, please. That's our that's our uh, scientific research project called Carbon Par. So the website for that is carbonpar.org. Carbonpar.org. So that okay. that's where we're hoping to um, to uh, offer easy to understand uh, statistics on how much you know you can store of carbon. Where are you? Where you are in the world? Uh, what kind of yeah geographical location, Maybe. soils, and things like that. So. Hugely important, Edwin, and much more important for the next generation, I think. Wherever generation that's maybe between the generation that thinks all that stuff is made up and a hoax, and the generation coming behind us thinks it's the most important thing in the world, and we're somewhere yeah. in between, but yeah. it's important. It, it, yeah, no you're doubt right. it's going to be. You know, when, you speak to them, when you speak to the younger people, you know, I always get, you know, I'm, I'm frequently surprised as to how, how much they're thinking about these things. And, uh, it's our it's our duty just to you know to accommodate that. I mean, we have to leave stuff behind 
you know, so that people can work with it. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Fabulous to catch up, my friend. Thank you for taking some time. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Rod. Thanks so much. Well, if you didn't do a Google image search of golf in Iceland while you were listening to that, I cannot urge you strongly enough to do so immediately. What a mesmerizing and fascinating landscape for the game it looks to be. I hope you found that wide-ranging discussion with Edward interesting and thought-provoking. As he said towards the end, it's this type of talk which is nutrition for the game, and we all have a role to play in shaping what golf will look like in the future. Well, that's it for episode 51 of the show, but I hope you've made the effort to follow us on whatever app you prefer, because on episode 52, John Huggan brings us a lively discussion with the author of some of the very best golf content in the history of the game. And how the thing about golf is it should really be things about golf, plural, uh, because it, it just it has this overarching uh, sort of thing that's really um, made me who I am. That's Guy Yoakum, former editor of the My Shot column, next time on The Thing About Golf. <laughs>